Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Steve. It's my privilege to be able to open up and look at God's Word together with you all today. And we are in a series in the book of Matthew, and I would encourage you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 10, and we will be looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 through 31. I'm just going to lead us in prayer uh, before we start looking at these verses. Father, we thank you for your word. It's the only book you ever wrote. And pray that as these are words from you, that you'll use them in each of our hearts and our minds and our lives. Help us to come to your word yielded before you, to hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw two weeks ago in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 20, that Jesus gave very specific instructions to the 12 as he commissioned them for ministry. And we noted then, and we're going to see it very clearly today, that those specific instructions actually go beyond the 12. They, they're instructions that are applicable to a greater scope than just the 12 apostles. Jesus calls all of his disciples to be his witnesses. And when we represent him, Jesus is going to say in these verses today that we will actually suffer because Christ will be seen in us. Those who oppose Christ will oppose us. In fact, these verses are very strong saying that we must expect to suffer because of being Jesus followers. I'm going to, going to read these verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Starting in verse 21 of Matthew 10. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father is child. And children will rise up against parents. And cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end. Who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of the household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there's nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many 
sparrows. One of the things that that Jesus is doing here in these verses is really impressing upon his disciples, not only the 12, but those followers of Jesus coming after, that those who oppose Jesus Christ will oppose us, that we must expect persecution, rejection, And whenever I read verses like this, one of the things that I always start to question is, well, why don't I feel that sometimes? Why do I not feel rejected? Why do I not experience persecution for Jesus? And I think there's a couple of, at least a couple of possible answers to that question. One, we do live in a nation that's been founded on religious liberty. In fact, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, to pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So thank the Lord that we have that right now. I'm convinced in my lifetime that we may not always have that. But right now, aren't, isn't it wonderful that we can live in a place where we are not daily persecuted for our faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Similar to a situation like Jack and Luann shared a little while ago. But I think there's another aspect to that question. As far as why do I not feel a sense of rejection in my life because I am a Jesus follower? And one of the things that we've got to ask ourselves is this. Are people seeing Jesus in me? Because if the world around me really sees Jesus in me, If the world around me is rejecting Jesus Christ, they will reject me as they see Jesus in me. And so as we look at these verses and begin to unpack them, Jesus is really driving home this point. Expect rejection. Expect persecution. He is adjusting our expectation. Whenever we enter into premarital counseling with couples here at Faith Bible Church, um, we pastors on staff use some really good material that's put out by Family Life. And one of the questions in that material asks the young couple, uh, where did you get your understanding of what marriage is. What formulated your view of marriage? And some of the questions are, well, looking at my parents, uh, the Bible, reading other books. There's several questions. One thing that it doesn't list, but I think has a major role today, is the media. Start watching television and film 
through the lens of looking at how they portray marriage. It's all fake. For example, on television and in a movie, uh, a man and a woman can be in this huge fight, like screaming at each other, and then in the middle of the fight say, oh, let's kiss now, and they just embrace and start making out. And I remember Tommy Nelson, pastor of Denton Bible Church, in his series on the Song of Solomon, talked about that kind of thing and said how he'd pull his sons aside and say, men, it don't work that way. I've been married almost 35 years and not once have I been in an argument with my wife when she interrupted the argument by grabbing me and passionately kissing me. It just doesn't happen. It's not realistic. That's not the way it works. And one of the things that Jesus is doing here is trying to set out realistic expectations for what it's really like to be a Jesus follower. And one of the things we'll see as as Jesus unfolds these verses, he's talking to the 12, his apostles, in that in this immediate context. But it becomes very apparent that his words are going beyond just the 12. Actually, we'll see clear to the end of the church age, clear to the clear to when Jesus comes back and sets up the kingdom. And so These verses apply to us all and there will be a day yet ahead of us when these verses will come even to be more lived out in the lives of those who are following Jesus. So Jesus is setting out a very realistic expectation. Expect rejection. Expect persecution. And we'll see here in verses 21 through 25 that Jesus' disciples must expect persecution because of him. Now verses 21 through 23 here are difficult. In fact, there is a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago very well-renowned professor named D.A. Carson who wrote about verse 23, these words. This verse is among the most difficult in the New Testament canon. In other words, the corpus of the New Testament books, he thinks verse 23 is one of the most difficult in the entire New Testament to understand. There are volumes of ideas and interpretations written about verses 21, 22, and 23. We're not going to spend time looking at all of the various possible understandings of these verses. I'm going to share with you briefly what I think they mean. And then we don't want to miss Jesus' main point in these verses. And that's what we're getting to simply Expect rejection. That's his point. Expect persecution. If people are going to reject Jesus, if they see Jesus in you, they will reject you because of him. That's his point. Look with me at verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. Father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. 
you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who is endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes." One of the things that's important for us to remember in the book of Matthew, as Matthew records Jesus' words, often Jesus will say something that has an immediate application to those who are hearing him, but goes way beyond that. We see that even in Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. If you look at verse 16, he's clearly talking to the 11 remaining apostles. Judas is off the scene. He's clearly talking to the apostles. And we read in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. And then Jesus says this, even to the end of of the age. You see, he's talking to the apostles, but he's also saying that what he's describing here applies to all Jesus' followers. This is a call to us as well. And we get a glimpse of that same thing that Jesus does here in these verses. He's talking here in verses 21 and following to his apostles. But These verses are taking us beyond that. And I think the best way to understand Jesus' words here is to understand them in light of what we see a little bit later in the book of Matthew. And so I'm going to ask us to briefly turn over to Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew 24, Jesus does a similar thing, but... In talking, starts describing what we here at Faith Bible Church believe is life during the period of seven years that's called the tribulation period. That here we believe that Jesus Christ will come back for the church. He could come back right now. He could come back this afternoon. And once Jesus raptures the church off the face of the earth, we believe here at Faith Bible there will be a seven-year period of tribulation. And then Jesus Christ will return with the church to the earth and set up his kingdom reign. That millennial portion of the kingdom reign lasting for a thousand years. These verses that Jesus is using in Matthew 24... Is describing actual life of those who become Jesus followers during the tribulation period. And notice as I read these verses, they're going to sound very similar to what Jesus says back in Matthew 10. I'll start in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. 
and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness has increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And we see that same phrase back in Matthew 10. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out that are in the house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor even nor ever will unless those days had been cut short no life would have been saved but the sake but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short then if anyone says to you behold here is the Christ or there he is do not believe him for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possible even the elect Behold, I told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And we find in those verses a vivid description that... The original hearers of that letter would say, yes, that's us right now. In fact, when we first start reading those first part of that section, we say, yeah, we've got nation up against nation and rumors of war and earthquakes. And then all of a sudden it transitions into what we believe is a description of that seven-year period of time. And when it says those who make it to the end will be saved, it's talking about physically delivered they will live through that tribulation period now with all of that context in mind we come back to Matthew chapter 10 and I think what Jesus is doing here is a very similar thing he's talking to the 12 he's talking to us but he's also describing this period that he describes in Matthew 24 when uh, there will be great tribulation on the earth. And there will be, after the church is raptured, men and women and boys and girls who will put their trust in the person of Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. There will be proclamation of the good news during the tribulation period. Thus we find Jesus describing the same thing that's described in Matthew 24 with families turning each other over to death. People being hated because of the name of Jesus Christ, that we're Jesus followers. And then when it says the one who has endured to the end will be saved, I think it's simply saying the person that makes it to the end of that tribulation period physically will be delivered. So Jesus here is driving home a point, and we see that point in verses 24 and 25. A disciple's not above his teacher. 
nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of the household? If they persecute Jesus, they're going to persecute you. If they reject Jesus, they're going to reject you because they see Jesus in you. And verse 25 here, when it talks about Beelzebul, we see that explained just in a couple chapters away in chapter 12, verse 24. It says, the Pharisees heard this. They said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. It's, it's, a, it's a statement saying this Beelzebul is really Satan-like or Satan himself. It's, it's, an, it's Jesus saying that, he, that the religious leaders of the day actually accused Jesus of doing his mighty works by the power of Satan. So Jesus is saying this, if they accuse me of operating under satanic power, why do you think you will be exempt from attack? Why do you think you, Jesus follower, follower, will be exempt from rejection? Why would you think you would be exempt from persecution? So Jesus' main point is this. Disciples must expect persecution because of him. I am a product of Iowa public education. And many of you would say, man, are we in trouble. <laughs> Went to Abraham Lincoln High School, Council Bluffs, Iowa. The Abraham Lincoln Links. Even then, that was a rough place to go to school. I started out with 550 in my sophomore class. 450 graduated. I don't know what happened to the other 100. I think they all went to jail. Drug use, alcohol use was rampant. I, I can smell a marijuana joint a half mile away because I'm so used to the smell of it. They smoke marijuana in my school bus. Um, it was very common in my high school. Kids today don't know what M80s were. M80s were really popular in my day. They'd flush them down the toilets and blow the toilets off the floor. If you remember that, you walk in the restroom, the toilet's gone. Because some dude threw an M80 down the toilet and blew it up. Swirlies were very common in my high school. Where they'd take you, put your head in the toilet and flush it. So the way to survive high school was to keep your head down. Don't make eye contact. And just pray a lot. Especially as a nerd Christian kid. And those years really had an effect on me. Friends were, uh, I hated high school. I absolutely despised high school. Friends were almost non-existent. And you go through that long enough and you get to a point where it's like, I just want somebody to like me. And it's so easy to take that into adulthood. And all of a sudden, here I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but there's this part of us that says, yeah, but if I'm too outspoken about Jesus, then he or she's not going to like me and I got to be liked. And Jesus is trying to tell us here, 
You're not going to be liked. That's why it's so important to be part of a church family. Our church family is where we are liked. It's like my wife trained our sons growing up. She said this all the time. We don't hit each other at home. We don't say bad things to each other at home. Because home is our safe place. And in a sense, that's what a church home is. This is where we encourage each other and build each other up. But not just to stay within these walls. And Jesus is saying when we are in the world, we shouldn't expect people to like us. Because if they don't like Jesus, they're not going to like you. And he's trying to, in a sense, set our expectations. Expect rejection. Which brings me to one of my initial questions. If I never feel rejection because of being a Christian, why? And again, we do live in a place right now where we have religious liberty. And we live in a culture where, hey, that's fine for you if you want to go live that way. But, uh, you know, I'm going to live my way. So that's part of the answer. But I think there's another part that I look into my own heart and ask. Are people really seeing Jesus in me? And am I putting myself in a position for people to see Jesus in me? In other words, do I have relationships with people who don't, who have not put their trust in the person of Jesus Christ. When, when my wife and I had children at home, that was easy. They're a built-in magnet for all kinds of athletic events and sports teams and, and we just were always with people who did not know Jesus. But then all of a sudden you become an empty nester and it's not quite so easy. We have to be purposeful about being with People who do not know Jesus Christ. Whether that's a neighbor down the road. Whether that means joining a book club. Or a card club. Or uh, going out and joining the archers. Or whatever it is. Some way to, to spend time with people. So they even have an opportunity to see Jesus Christ in us. Jesus point. Is as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I should not expect to be liked. And so we have to continually ask, does my life resemble Jesus' life? A more complicated way to say that is, am I operating my life out of a biblical worldview? Do my choices in life, the things I talk about, the things I do, the things I see represent a biblical worldview so that how I live out my life is really Jesus Christ living out his life through me. Jesus says, if people see Jesus in you, if they hate him, they'll hate you. And Jesus tells us, expect it. Now we come to verses 
26 through 31. And he said, expect rejection. But by the way, don't be afraid. Don't go through life fearful. Don't get underneath your kitchen table in a fetal position. Don't be fearful of it. And he gives us three reasons why not, why we don't have to fear rejection, persecution. Verses 26 through 31. Jesus' disciples should not fear persecution because, three reasons. Reason number one, Jesus has already led the way of suffering. Reason number two, the worst people can do does not match the worst God can do. And we'll unpack that a little bit. I know that sounds strange. And number three, God is sovereign over even the tiny stuff. That's Jesus' points. Why we don't have to fear rejection. Point number one, we see it in verse 26 with the little word, therefore. Therefore, do not Fear. So he's looking back to the verses right before it when he says, therefore, and his basic point is this. They've already hated me. Therefore, if you're my follower, don't be fearful because you know they're going to hate you. Instead, go ahead and just proclaim the good news in that era. In the ancient Near East, they would have had flat roofs, right? Here in Iowa, we hate flat roofs. If you've got a flat roof, man, not buying that house. It's got a flat roof. We're in nothing but trouble. But in this era, in this area, they had flat roofs. And Jesus is saying, get up on the rooftop and just proclaim the good news. It's all going to come out anyway. It might as well come out now. Don't be fearful. You know they're going to hate you for it. That's his point. Point number two is in verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's the part where we worded it. The worst people can do does not match the worst God can do. And here's Jesus' point. What's the worst somebody can do to you? Kill you, right? That's about the worst. Jesus says, are you going to worry about that person that can kill your body, but not your inner person? Or be more concerned about honoring the one who's sovereign over your body and your inner person, your soul. And he goes on in verse 28 and says it this way. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And by the way, it's interesting. There's some theology here in verse 28 about what happens to people when they die. It's not just a Christian who has, when Jesus comes back, has their body raised up out of the grave, rejoined with their soul. But at a later date, all those who have stood in rejection of Jesus Christ will also experience a rejection. And their soul will be rejoined with their reconstituted body as well. But for those who stood in rejection of Jesus Christ, this verse, according to Jesus, their destiny is not heaven, it's in hell. Reminiscent of Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, when the apostle John wrote this. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And we know from the teaching of the Bible that the difference between the person who goes to heaven and the person who goes to hell is the person of Jesus Christ. Coming to a point where we recognize that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross to pay the price of our sin, rose again from the dead, proving that he is God. And that at the moment we put our trust, our belief, our faith in Jesus, that he is God who died for me and rose again. At that moment, we become a Christian and our destiny is sure. Here Jesus is saying, don't worry about rejection. Don't worry about persecution. Why? Well, for one reason, I've led the way in persecution. Number two, don't be fearful of people. All they, the worst they can do is kill you. It's better to honor me who is sovereign over heaven and hell. And then finally, the third thing Jesus says is, don't worry about what they can do to you. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign over even the little stuff. Look at, these are great verses. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? In the ancient Near East, for the very poor person, they would actually eat sparrows. I don't know if that sparrow is the same thing that our house sparrow is here in the U.S., but it's not a night, it's not a enviable bird. And here, it's like, okay, there's a buy one, get one sale. Hey, you buy one sparrow, you get one free. Supper tonight, you know, his and her sparrow. What's for supper? Stuffed sparrow. What else are we having? That's it. So Jesus says, you can get two sparrows for a penny. They're not very valuable. And then look what he says. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Jesus is saying that God's even sovereign over when a sparrow dies. He's that much in control. Then it goes on to say, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And I know some of you are thinking, man, God doesn't have very much work to do for you, Pastor Steve. (laughs) Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. You see, these verses are saying that God is sovereign over even the tiny stuff. And if he's over, sovereign over the tiny stuff, this is his conclusion. So don't fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Here in the Midwest, we are accustomed to storms, aren't we? This year, we're kind of feeling like, will the storms ever end? We have snow in the forecast today. It's April 8th. This should not be so. But ever since most of us who have grown up in this area were little kids, we were told if it's storming, stay on the main roads, right? If you stay on the main roads, they're going to remain cleared. If you stay on the main roads, if you have a problem, you know, emergency services will be able to get to you. The worst place to be in Iowa in a storm is on the dreaded, quote unquote, minimal maintenance road. 
You go down a minimal maintenance road, get stuck, they may not find you till spring. And there's more, if you're out in the country very much, there's more and more minimal maintenance roads. And we go through life kind of fearful because we have this mentality that says God only watches over the interstate in a sense. Meaning God's only concerned about the big stuff. But here I am over on the minimal maintenance road and God doesn't even know what's going on in my life. That's kind of how we compartmentalize God. And yet this verse, these verses are saying there's no compartmentalism needed. God knows the very number of hairs that are on your head. There's not a sparrow that falls from the sky to the earth that God is not in control of that situation. He is just as much observant of life on the interstate as he is on the minimal maintenance road of your life and my life. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, some days it's not very fun being a Christ follower. In fact, don't expect to be liked. Because if people actually are able to see Jesus in you, those who don't like Jesus are not going to like you. I did a wedding yesterday, and whenever I do a wedding, I share the gospel. And Barbara told me afterwards, there were some people that were visibly ticked off. Yeah, well... Not here to make you happy. You know what? We can't go through our lives fearful of letting Jesus Christ be seen in us. Because that's the exact opposite of what Jesus has called us to do. He's called us to love people. But he's also called us to to love people in a way that they see that we're Jesus followers. That Christ can be seen in us. That we are Christians. And Jesus is just very forthright here and says, expect rejection. But he also says, don't worry about it. We must expect persecution. But never fear it. You may be here today, and when I talked about how there's hope in the person of Jesus Christ, that may be foreign to you. You may not know right now in your life, in your spiritual journey, if you're right with God or not. And I want to encourage you, we always keep material here at Faith Bible Church that is just free for the taking. In fact, we have some little booklets back in our prayer room that you can, one of our leaders will be back there. You can say, hey, can I have some of that material Pastor Steve was talking about? And what you can do is just open up the first chapter in that book, take out your Bible, and look up a variety of passages in the scripture that show you how you can know for sure that you can be right with God through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here today and just you want to spend some time in prayer today. I'd encourage you just go back and hit the prayer room after the service and, and just spend some time. In prayer. Father, we thank you for these verses and the reminder that we're not going to be liked, but also the reminder that we don't have to fear that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.